0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm Nikki, I'm your host, and it's my privilege to introduce you to the amazing robotics and AI community in Australia. Today, I'm continuing a series of interviews with the Women in AI Australia, New Zealand 2022 award winners. My guest today is Professor Flora Salim. Flora is the inaugural Cisco Chair of Digital Transport at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. She is a member of the Australian Research Council, ARC, College of Experts. Her research on human-centered computing and AI machine learning for behavioral modeling with multimodal spatial temporal data has led to more than 150 papers and three patents. She is the window of the AI, Defence and Intelligence category for the Women in AI in Australia, New Zealand 2022. This is a condensed bio, so please check out the notes for all of Flora's work and achievements. Flora, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm just mentioning to my audience that that's a very um, short bio of Flora. It's much, much longer, but just in the interest of time, because she's an extremely busy person, um, you will have to refer to the show notes to see what else she's been doing. It's an absolute honor to speak with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your career highlights?
1: Well, I think um, uh, what is what has been interesting for me is uh, uh, I've been very keen on uh, on doing research since I was little because uh, i I always found myself to be uh, curious uh, curiosity is one of my traits, uh, and I, I really love to of patterns um, in the world around us in, uh, and and that's actually led me to. Uh, uh, keenness even doing coding since I was young. So uh, since I was in primary school, I've learned uh, uh, coding um, and that was very rare for a female uh during my time so i won't tell you my age but
0: <laughs> listen it's, it's enough to say that you did coding at school i mean that's even maybe even rare today like so i mean all but, yes. but but
1: um yes yeah, so i started uh, coding when i was 11 and that was uh, with uh pascal and cobalt so you know how old that is that yeah. was even and also C. um uh, and, and ba- basically uh, initially I thought I could I would love to do science and medicine but uh, I think the love of technology and com- computing draw me more and more into this and then and then um, uh, I did my um, uh, undergrad and then honours research um, in computer science uh, and I went to industry obviously and uh, after that uh, I, I, again I'm very drawn into uh, expanding uh, research because I, I like to have the freedom and in exploring my own questions, uh, because there's so much opportunity with the, the data uh, that, that was made available to us. So even when I did my PhD, it, it was uh, basically uh, on um, uh, what, you know, we were one of the few who's, uh, who started doing data mining and machine learning on stream data, stream and sensor data. Uh, and that was when I started my PhD, that was 2005. Uh, there was some explosion on what we call the mood sensors, the little tiny sensors that, will, that could be easily spread um, in a, in agriculture field and also sensors in the car, sensors in the environment. Uh, so uh, there was no term IoT back then, but I was already working on the in, in really the sections of AI and IoT. Um, and, and really uh, from that, from that onwards, during my PhD, uh, I started working on the issues of. Basically, how do you make, uh, how do you ingest data uh, with very limited resources? Um, because computational resources could be very scarce um, in, in a kind of environment, in the, in the live and wild environment. Uh, but how do you make machine learning that are actually computationally infa- intensive, uh, you know, data hungry uh, to be effective um, and efficient? So that's sort of the stuff that I do. And I've been working from the area of uh, the domain of uh, transport to, uh, you know, built environment, critical infrastructure monitoring. Um, uh, And I also had uh, uh, opportunities to have uh, grants and fellowships um, um, in this area. Uh, So that took me from my uh, PhD in Monash to... Um, you know, uh, a postdoc fellowship funded by ARC uh, at RMIT. Um, so that was APDI, uh, Austria postdoc Postdoctoral industrial fellowship. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, I had a then faculty position at RMIT and after 13 years then I, I moved to UNSW to take up this uh, role uh, just on uh, uh on first of april so i got the award uh, on the night before then
0: i actually saw um i was there in the audience so i saw your acceptance speech of you being in no man land because you literally finished that day and um well obviously it was in the evening and the next day you were starting at the university of new south Wales. so i'm assuming you've actually moved to sydney now is that a correct assumption that's a great question.
1: So, uh, <laughs> as a professor of digital transport, I'm still transporting myself between the two cities. So, <laughs> okay. we are, we're going, the family is going to relocate uh, permanent, uh, per- permanently. We uh, we're looking into sometime uh, uh, next year. All so, right. Yeah, we're still in the process of doing that
0: i i do not envy you the travel mania that jim is going through at the moment with the airport so i just my commiserations and you sound as though you're extremely competent you can handle this but still flora tell us about your position at the university of new south wales
1: yeah so um uh, there are two hats i'm wearing so i'm a professor in uh, computer science and engineering um so and with my research on the intersection of ai and machine learning with uh basically uh, ubiquitous computing or sensor and computing everywhere uh, from your uh, typical environment to your to sensors in the pocket and in, uh, in the street and the city. Uh, I'm also having... Um, um, so that it also includes the uh, research and teaching. So the typical um, uh, appointment for a professor, but at the same time, I'm also a Cisco chair um, in digital transport and mobility. So uh, so CISCO has um, uh, appointed several research chairs across the country, uh, uh, across different um, uh, vertical domain and the one in, uh, so, uh, one in each state. So the one in New South Wales is here at UNESCO, and that's actually me. Okay. And my focus is very much uh, working closely with CISCO Uh, with uh, a lot of their uh, project partners and clients. um, uh, That that basically uh, says every single transport department in the country, um, we're actually working closely with them at the moment. Um, So real-world projects, uh, lots of data. So because we are based in New South Wales, um, obviously Transport for for New South Wales is one of our closest partner uh, for, for our research. Uh, very keen to adopt some of the research that we're doing. Uh, so there's going to be a really quick, um, uh, you know, basically uh, interconnection between research and the R&D here. It's not normally takes a long time to cycle, but it's going to be a lot more agile. We can get feedback around the industry at the same time. Uh, industry can see what we're doing in terms of state-of-the-art research, and then they can say, that's what we like. We like to adopt that. And how do we actually then... Um, make, make that happen.
0: Um, and as anyone now that lives in Sydney, there's a lot going on in the public transport space in terms of infrastructure being improved con- continuously there?
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm actually very impressed with uh, the rate of the, the improvement and advancement that's going on. I mean, the, it actually changes my experience as a uh, transport user uh, public transport users, I'm, I'm a keen public transport user. So even when I'm here uh, all the time, I always take public transport. Um, I, I love the, uh, uh, you know, the new light rail, um, you know, the, uh, it, and also uh, I like the way that uh, inf- real-time information uh, is is um, widely and easily accessible, even on it's actually integrated on Google Maps. Um, you can actually know, for example, uh, when your, your light rail, your bus is going to arrive Uh, how many minutes it is going to be delayed. It is not there in in, in any other state at the moment. So
0: No, it is. I have to say, I'm travelling to Sydney. I do find it absolutely astounding that you can actually get off at the Sydney airport and you can get onto a train and you can go anywhere you need to. It it baffles, it's beyond comprehension that Melbourne still does not have this. (laughs) Yes, and
1: and we're also planning to uh, work closer with Victoria Department of Transport, to see how we can also help them on on these issues. So in fact, um, with Cisco, uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, activities going on. Say um, in some of the uh, intersections in Sydney, we are trialing smart intersections. So um, it's a lot of movements. So all the movements are being tracked. Uh, So uh, it's also looking at the next generation vehicle to infrastructure communication, uh, towards the, you know, connected vehicles, um, uh, time, uh, which is happening and, and basically uh, looking at how do we actually leverage that to be able to make sense, uh, you know, events, uh, Im, you know, emerging events as happening, either congestion or even potentially uh, follow, vulnerable front of road users that uh, are running sections and how do you make it safe and efficient for uh, experience for everybody
0: well of course it's based on all the data that you're able to mine so you know in an excellent position to do this and i think as um technology advances for people and i know for a lot of people that you know you talk about smart devices and for a certain generation they go oh no they're just not interested in it but if you actually look at how it can make your life easier as you mentioned whenever you're traveling you get instant updates of things that you need to know
1: yes that's right and and the thing is uh uh there's so much data, but what sort of data do we need to actually provide people at their fingertips? Because, uh, you know, too much information also can give um, and the opposite effect of having, uh, you know, uh, information, information overload.
0: Yeah. So, Flora, are, are you lecturing as well as the university? Could you make the sound so seamless? You know, you're just throwing all this work around. Like, how do you organize your day? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I, I do teach. Yes. So, uh, in
1: UNSW uh, we are all encouraged to teach and, uh, because that's, that's uh, the only way we can continue to deliver and train the next generation, uh, and even trying to inspire the, uh, you know, the undergrad students to, to do research. Um, so I'm going to teach in in, the next term and I'm looking forward to it and that'll be on uh, ethics. Okay.
0: Listen, your students can just thank the lucky stars that they've got you as a professor there, that's all I can say. So you became a member of the Australian Research Council College of Experts. What does the Research Council do?
1: So uh, ARC, so Australian Research Council, they, uh, they award grants to, uh, the, this is basically, um, you know, federal government body uh, that actually funds uh, basically the fundamental, the basic uh, research in Australia, and as well as applied research because there are several schemes. So including the ARC discovery projects, uh, they are more on fundamental blue sky research as well as the uh, uh, linkage project schemes. And these are highly competitive. That's why uh, we call them the category one grant. Uh, it's very prestigious if you get one of them and and it's a very strong in- incentive uh, for universities uh, to encourage their uh, faculty members to to get them, apply for them and get them. So now as a member of College of Experts, uh, we, are, um, we have responsibilities when we are assigned to panels uh, to actually provide um, uh, evaluation uh, of the uh, applications coming in. So not just, um, you know, so there are, of course, evaluation as an assessor uh, and as an expert assessor, but uh, we, uh, we will then discuss, uh, you know, how the applications are are ranked and prioritized for funding based on also the assessments.
0: Congratulations! Like um, I think it's like a plump position that sounds to me so um, thoroughly deserved as well as the the category that you won here. Which brings us a little bit to the awards night, as I mentioned, I saw you accept your um, award and you mentioned you were no and but you also mentioned how important it was to get um, the accolade and the recognition of your work. Talk to us a little bit about this. So
1: yeah, on, on the award, um, I was only made aware of, I was made aware of these last year as well. So um, uh, a couple of the committee uh, members of the award contacted me to, to put myself uh, uh, ahead for the uh, award. Uh, but I think the deadline last year was uh, uh, around Christmas. And, you know, given how uh, how busy uh, that time is, I just couldn't, you know, uh, this was two years ago then I think. Yeah. The deadlines. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't make it to that one. And I thought, okay, let me make sure that I'll apply for the current one. The and then again I almost um, missed it Uh, if not uh, if not uh, several people again from the even from the women in AI were nudging me calling me saying are you putting yourself are you going to nominate yourself because we we see you as one of the uh, prominent women in AI in Australia but and you know you should you know nominate yourself on this one so uh, the thing thing is with this one because um, there's a lot of different uh, text to fill in, uh, although you could be nominated, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the person needs to spend time to actually fill in uh, the text in the form. Um, so yeah, I managed to, um, they kindly um, gave us extension because I think a couple of other women were also trying to make, make sure the application um, make it in time
0: yeah I, I know the application um it's quite a lengthy one and i've you know i've spoken to a couple of other women and women and they've actually mentioned that they it actually gave them a chance to reflect on their career look what they've achieved and maybe even use that as like a bouncing board forward to go well here are some areas that maybe i can improve did you have any similar experience absolutely every single time
1: uh you know, I apply for similar kind of like award or fellowship. It's always, or even grant application, like I mentioned before, like ARC Discovery Project, it's always a good chance to be in it. Not to not to win it. I mean, of course, you want to be in it to win it, but at least one of the biggest in, uh, benefit out of it is uh, to reflect on your own track record. Um, and basically, sometimes you've had already... Uh, uh drafts of this kind of application for previous submissions and then you can see how far you've grown since the last submission of another grant or fellowship award that you did at the same time is what's next mm. uh what will be uh, what's the plan the next year the next two three years what, you know how how would you like to you know change your little world or even the bigger world
0: yeah no i think it's fantastic um, and as i mentioned like for a lot of women um, it's become like an inspiration for them to go, especially where they're going, I'm falling short on some areas, that they. it's like a bit of a ping for them to go, I need to lift my game in this because clearly other women are really good at this and I, I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. So tell us about your the work um, around this. So you've just released a paper translating human mobility forecasting through natural language generation. Um, Flora, I'm making as I know exactly, I have got no idea what any of that means. So you are going to talk to me like I'm an absolute novice about this. Talk us through this. Right, so,
1: so for example, um, so we do a lot of work on, uh, uh, so the, the word that we got is, um, um, the word that I got is actually based on my, day, uh, my work on um, intelligence with big spatial temporal data. Okay. Right. So uh, it's, of course, the category is defense intelligence, but one of that is part of that is spatial data. Now, now the thing is, uh, who normally ingest this kind of data? It's apparently, uh, you know, a lot of them are, uh, uh, you know, the transport operators or the building managers and this kind of thing, because trying to know uh, where people are, what people do, and the movement and all those things. Uh, but, but actually uh uh, more and more end users are ingesting this kind of data as well, because as you're planning for your trip, for example, right, uh, you want to know, uh, uh, you know, where is the next um, bus going to arrive? Am I still going to make it if I go and grab a coffee around the corner? And you know, where where, where is the best coffee shop to get my coffee in, in order for me to make it in time for uh, my next meeting, for example, that kind of thing. Now. Now, the thing is, um, I'm sure you have used Alexa or Siri. Do you have one at,
0: at home? Yeah, I used to have a Google. I've switched yeah. it off, but I used to have a Google, yeah. Yeah, so you've got a smart speaker. Yeah.
1: And you could ask questions to your smart speaker, things like, um, uh, you know, what's the weather today, right? Yep. So, uh, or you can ask questions about uh, uh, who was the past president of the United States, right? Yeah. will yep. give you an answer. So you asking question, they will give you answer, and that is normally built on a knowledge uh, from the web, yep. uh, which is a big uh, you know knowledge graph uh, of uh, let's say coming off from Wikipedia, mm-hmm. or you know it's if it's about the weather, it's it's normally built on an, a forecasting model, uh, which is a weather forecasting but then it's understanding that the question that, okay, that is a question to do with weather forecasting, I'll have to answer it this way. Now, the thing is um, uh, the spatial temporal forecasting hasn't been um, quite uh, addressed yet uh, in this kind of manner. So normally, uh, spatial temporal forecasting will be questions like, for example, um, uh, how many people will be at the, at uh, that coffee shop uh, tomorrow say maybe as a, a, sh- a shop owner you might want to know that or you know how congested is that tra- train station or where would uh, will i be able to get a car park uh around this train station because i want to get parked and get to my mm-hmm. you know that is a forecasting question spatial yeah. temporal forecast is to do with space and time and it's a, a Behavior of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of uh, uh, research is not yet uh, done, really, because it's, uh, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's done, but it's not done in in a natural language manner. So that's what we did in in that paper. This we were the first that treat that as a uh, natural language uh, processing, natural language generation problem.
0: So is that is that like a first in Australia, worldwide that you've done this? Uh, I, I will
1: say potentially, potentially worldwide because there was an international peer reviewed. Yeah. And it's uh, actually published in a top venue called Wisdom uh, Web Search and Data Mining, which is very competitive and it's actually ranked A star, which is, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do we then um, uh, make spatial temporal forecasting uh, a question that actually normally treated as? You know, to build a regression model separately for, to answer each of these forecasting component, but instead of building that, that separate encoding and uh, re- regression model separately, and that can only be uh, ingested uh, by, let's say, the experts or data scientists or whoever, but how do we make it more uh, you know, uh, accessible by treating it like a natural
0: language question and even the answer is also a natural language. All right. Data that you're mining out of, say, for instance, how many people have gone to a coffee shop, um, how many call, call spaces are available, that sort of stuff. How would you mine that information anyway? Are you relying on the coffee shop owner to supply you this information or how do you get it?
1: So these are examples. So uh, if we, in, in that paper, for example, we, we use data sets uh, that are c- coming from a location-based service provider, um, and uh, the details are in the paper, so, but the data is coming in aggregates, so aggregates of, let's say, uh, uh, daily or let's say weekly uh, pattern of visits to a certain uh, POI, so places of interest. Yeah, uh, And this kind of uh, come, you know, uh, either from mobile phone uh, location, you know, whenever uh, there's someone uh, activating location-based service on the phone, it, yeah. the ping can be received there. Or it can come in maybe from check-in, so active check-in, so people actually manually checking in, just like your, your check-in, uh, you know, sometime in last year in Melbourne, right, you, uh, you, even before you get into a shop, you need to yeah, your your carbon car- car- chicken check in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you need to do your QR code, for example. Yeah. So that's the manual check-in. So uh, imagine these data are aggregated in in some manner, and we can do uh, we can then actually mine the patterns uh, and of people activities, and and this becomes important because uh, the actually you become more you, you and I become more mindful about our mobility intent because. Uh, as we have now moved from a hybrid work you know not everyone go to work uh monday friday nine to five uh we become more mindful and you know we we also want to make sure that we becoming more efficient in our time uh we don't want to be stuck in a crowded uh, uh you know uh, carriage or we want we don't be standing for too long for waiting for uh coffee because Also, it's for health safety, a reason, right? For, you know, social distancing and all that. So I think a lot of these becoming more uh, important question.
0: In terms of people's privacy, I mean, I know in a bit of the pushback about these QR codes in in Melbourne, for instance, because I just live here, I know about it, is that people are going, they're tracking you. And I'm I'm going, I don't know, like, what do you think they're going to do with this information where they're tracking you? It's for your own good. But I'm sure there are concerns out of people going, um, what are you doing with this information? Do you have my permission to be tracking me, so to speak? So uh, how, did, how does that work? I
1: guess um, every single system uh, is different, uh, but as far as I know with the one in um, Melbourne, the checking in, uh, the information uh, just stays, uh, stays there. It's, uh, uh, yeah. the, the, the biggest question is always about personal, personally uh, identifiable information. Uh, do they collect your personally identified information uh, this KFS? No. So it, it, it only will, uh, you know, uh, it will be associated to you if there is a, a positive case, right? Uh-huh. So um, I think what's even more wor- worrying is if it's, it's good that you are aware that you are checking in. That, that means, you know, you're actively giving away uh, that check-in behavior, the check-in data. Uh, what's more worrying is um, what's happening now in the US. Uh, you know, with the uh, Supreme Court, the recent Supreme Court decision, for example, uh, that even there is part of the law over there that it says that the uh, the lawmakers and regulators will who, who have the rights uh, to use technology and the data to you know prosecute um, if some and knows if someone is actually uh, had an uh, effort. Uh, uh, have an abortion effort for example uh, uh, and, and you're not realizing you're giving that data away and then that could be used to track you that that kind of thing is a, is more worrying And yeah, I'm I, about this actually in the conversation article a couple of years ago
0: look i think the whole um the whole situation in america is worrying i i don't foresee it that they um people are going to stop protesting, Um, we're speaking now, very current, by the time this talk is out, it's probably a few weeks away, but um, the whole landscape is shifted for women and women's rights, and um, obviously we're concerned about it.
1: Yeah, so that's why I'm actually, um, um, uh, some of my active uh, research at the moment is, first, how do we make machine learning more data efficient. So uh, first, so that means we, uh, we train it with less uh, less training data or even less label data, but at the same time, we also need to be aware of its biases. And we need to ensure that the model being trained could be privacy preserving. So, uh, you know, it could not be uh, used to trace trace it back to a, a particular user, for example.
0: Yeah. yeah they want to they want to turn it or um, autonomous that um, an autonomy that no one knows where you're on what you're doing of course otherwise we won't be doing hop I wouldn't say we wouldn't be doing but it is real concern that wherever you go um, people can track you and that's to say Facebook um, Google mm-hmm. any of the devices that you're using
1: yeah but I just have to say that with the you know a lot of people um, you know uh, I think maybe it's also the contribution of the way media portrays it, but it, it feels that AI is a scary thing. Having an AI uh, machine learning being pervasive in our life. Well, um, the thing is, the technology, once it works really well, is going to work, it's going to make our lives so efficient.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I think no nobody argues about it. I mean, everyone uses uh, Google Maps and they don't mind that they're aware about being tracked because um, you know, at least by knowing Google Map needs
0: your location so then it can then plan a better journey for you. So it's like a give and take, right? Definitely. I think it's more that users' information is being used when they're not aware of it and and you become the product and your information is being sold to other people. I think that's where it gets problematic. Obviously, to the betterment of our lives, like the example you've used, yes, we're all for that, but not if you... Going onto a site and you're giving up your email address, or you've just visited the site and your information has been sold on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so back to the awards nights and positive things. What does this award mean to you personally? So, I think um, it's a it's a great
1: acknowledgement uh, uh, of the work that my team is doing. <laughs> So I'm sort of, I'm actually, I mean, I, this is the first thing I did. So when I got the award, I I really uh, had a big kudos to my team. I said, this is yours, not mine. So um, the the team of PhD and postdocs and, and and that also is an acknowledgement that what what we do is important. The research topic and the stuff that we do matters. And it's it's very important. Still a lot of things to be done. Um, Mm -hmm. And it uh, also uh, uh, opens uh, more opportunities to collaborate with others because people, they're becoming more aware of what we do. And that's what uh, and I managed to get, uh, I think, a lot more um, uh, opportunities uh, to expand our research further.
0: Oh, absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. For our mindful, your time is very precious. Any advice to anyone thinking of applying for this award next year? Um, I would just say, um, you know, go for it. Um,
1: don't hesitate. Uh, and I think maybe think about uh, really uh, it's very similar process to applying uh, awards or grants uh, or fellowship. Think about your track record and, and you know, uh, how you can actually put a nice narrative about it uh, and, and what, what is the plan for, uh, for your own research.
0: One last question. Do you have a mentor? oh absolutely i have a couple yes <laughs> <laughs> anyone you want to give a shout out to here it was your opportunity
1: right so uh one person i'd like to uh acknowledge uh somebody who's uh, uh who was my mentor at uh, rmit um so uh, uh for a couple of years uh professor Mark Sanderson. so i really want to thank him uh he, he's brilliant He uh, He's very collaborative, he's very uh, uh, consultative. And uh, I think his team-based approach uh, makes me think about uh, uh, doing uh, research in a more collaborative manner. So, and he's always very, uh, he's he's one person that will never hesitate in giving you a a really glowing reference. And I I, I thank him for countless times uh, for his glowing references for me.
0: Fantastic. Where could uh, the audience reach you? What's the best place? LinkedIn, and email address? What would you prefer? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, email address is flora.salium at unisw.edu.au. Fabulous. I'm going to put that all in the show notes. I'm going to put a couple of links into your paper as well and to the Australian Research Council College of Experts. I'll put a link into that So for the audience. Flora, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor speaking with you. Um, As I said, I saw you receive your award. I was so happy for you. I know you had stiff competition um, and I I wish you all the best in your continued work. Thank you. Thank you. To our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I look forward to your company uh, next week again and have a great day.